more beautiful way to be able to usher in the word of God after that incredibly beautiful and important worship song that we proclaim together. And we're going to come back to that a bit later this morning. It is my real privilege to be sharing with you um, the word today in our series, A New Way to Live, which you know we've been doing for a, a while now. Um, and as we've said before, this is not just a, a message for just anyone, but it's very much a message that Jesus gives for those who have chosen to follow him. And in his teaching, he gives us a description of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And it is a teaching that carries such power and such insight into this new life and what this new life in the kingdom of God looks like. And it's the new life that we should all be living as those who have chosen to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. God's way of living usually contradicts with the world's. In fact, it's often in stark contrast to the way the world often responds. And in today's passage, this new way of life that we are called to live is definitely incredibly different to the way that the world would normally respond. Because in it, Jesus gives a new way to deal with worry. And as we know, the world has its own unique way of responding to the stresses and challenges facing us. Coming off the back of Jesus' words that we heard last week about not storing up treasures on earth, but rather treasures in heaven, already a really new way to live compared to most. Jesus then goes on to say, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Now, we all know what worry is. That feeling of just being uneasy or overly concerned about a situation or problem. I mean, how many people here have never worried about anything? So... We will come ask you for tips afterwards, Gregs. But when you read these verses, do not worry about your life. How many of you are tempted when you're reading the scripture to stop right there and just say, really, Lord? Don't worry? Don't worry? I mean, do you have any idea of how much there is to worry about right now? There is my family and my loved ones and what could possibly happen to them. There is our, our children and the future that they're going to have. We've got to worry about our finances and, and the cost of living. We've got to worry about our safety. And then for many of our family actually sitting with us here, they actually even have to worry about having a roof over their heads and their very basic needs being met. I wanted to share with you some statistics that came out last month in the South African and sharing some of the major worries for South Africans. And John's put it for us on the screen there. Do you know that 62% of us worry about crime and violence? And we're the highest of any other country when it comes to worrying about this. 52% of us worry about financial and um, political corruption. 55% of us worry about unemployment. 32% of us worry about poverty and social inequality, 12% only, worry about healthcare, 21% of us worry about education, 16% of us worry about taxes, just over 10% of us worry about moral decline, and we're far more worried, in fact, about inflation than around that. And perhaps the only thing we're not too worried about is about terrorism, which I think only about 2% of the Africans even worry about. We can all relate to this phenomenon of worry. And according to the Collins English Dictionary, to worry is to keep thinking about problems that you have or, and this is interesting too, unpleasant things that might happen. 
lady called Margaret McCordy of Wisconsin University did a study on worrying, and she came up with the following interesting findings. 40%, if you go to the next slide, John, 40% of our worries over things that never happen. 30% of our worries are over things that happened in the past that we actually can't change. And 12% of our worries are over imaginary health problems. And 10% of our worries are over petty, insignificant issues. So all in all, 92% of the things that we worry about are things that are actually outside of our control. And I wonder if you've even given much thought to the impact of worry. The fast pace that is just so common in our society today has really has increased our stress to unnatural levels, far beyond what is needed for a quick fight or flight response. And science has proven that stress caused by worry is actually extremely unhealthy for us. And research says that worry even impacts the hormones that, released by, uh, that are released by our thyroid glands, which in turn impairs our body's digestive systems. And these same hormones boost our blood sugar levels and, and the triglycerides that are stored as fat, which can lead to unhealthy weight gain. So bottom line, worry makes us fat. Chronic worry can cause nervous tics, hair loss, premature heart disease, heart attacks, suppression of the immune system, mental illness, and a host of other detrim detrimental effects on the body. Chronic worrying can affect your daily life so much that it can interfere with your appetite, with your lifestyle habits, your relationships, your sleep, and your job performance, because it undermines concentration and productivity. Many people who are so, who worry excessively are so anxiety-ridden that they will seek relief in harmful lifestyle habits, such as overeating, cigarette smoking, or using alcohol and drugs just to calm the nerves a bit. And worry pulls us in different directions. In fact, the Greek word translated as worry literally means to be drawn in different directions. Because if we are distracted by worry, we lose our focus and can, in that space, make some really poor decisions. Worry also undermines our emotional states, causes us to misplace our priorities. And I think very significantly, worry impacts us spiritually by encouraging fear rather than faith in God. Worry is a reality in our world, and Jesus knew this, and he understood this. But in the face of that reality, Jesus calls his disciples, which is you and me and everybody who has made the decision to follow him as Lord and Savior, to a new approach to worrying. And I want to read for you from Matthew chapter 6, from verse 25, and it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What is Jesus teaching us in this passage that can help us to let go of worry? And the theme of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God. He not only described first the God of the kingdom, he taught us what that kingdom is like. He gave us requirements for entering the kingdom, and he has also outlined for us guidelines on how to live in that kingdom. And in response to the way we normally respond in the flesh, Jesus now gives us another way to live that embraces kingdom principles. He's discipling us as to what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In the place of worry, Jesus teaches us we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, for me, to seek the kingdom of God is to intentionally focus on and fully experience a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek the things of God as priority over the things of this world. To seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness is not about outward acts of religiosity, but it's about embracing a set of beliefs and values and ambitions and responsibilities and priorities that are consistent with us being a new creation in Jesus Christ. God's kingdom is the rule and reign of Christ in our lives, and we are to seek the rule and reign of Christ in our lives where he is in charge, not us. It's one of the very first parts of the Lord's Prayer, or as Jeremy told us before, the disciples' prayer that we should be praying. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when you're under his lordship, and when he is in control of your life, that is the kingdom of God. It's not rules and regulations, but as Romans 14, 17 says, it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to share with you this morning, very briefly, eight ways that we can seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm literally going to land these, these eight things in your lap and, and ask you to go and take time to ponder and think through them. We could spend so much time on each one, but we don't have time for this morning. But here's just a, a glimpse into that that you can then, um, under God's help, pray into and seek further. The first thing is we need to get our priorities in order. And the first four questions that I think can help us as we really assessing this under God. Are you intentionally focused on a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are you fully experiencing this relationship empowered by the Holy Spirit? Does God come first in your life? And is this reflected in how you spend your time, your energy, and your money. Because when our relationship with God is the first priority in our lives, then the decisions we make, the, the order of our priorities, the value that we give to everything in our life, it's going to flow out of that relationship with God. Getting our priorities in order is a very big step into us letting go of worry. Secondly, the importance on meditating on God's truths 
and the nature of God. And I think this point ties in so beautifully with the word that Janine felt led to share with us this morning. One of the best ways that you can increase your faith and let go of worry is to meditate on the scriptures. And a very simple way to do this is to to memorize passages. And I would encourage you to pick a passage that speaks to an issue with which you struggle. And one that has been deeply meaningful to me is Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. And it says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We never have to worry about being forsaken by God. And for me, applying this truth to circumstances that I encounter, and particularly those that cause me to worry, can minister to my soul, giving me fresh perspective and releasing peace and faith and trust where I might have instinctively been tempted to worry. Meditation on God's truth and his character, his his very nature, can and will build your faith. And you'll also be refocusing your mind then on his truth rather than the worries that surround you. And I'm not talking here about just reciting a Bible verse to distract your thoughts and, and calm you. It is something that is so much deeper than that. It's really meditating on and chewing on the truths of the Word of God. And then thirdly, I think we need to trust in the Father heart of God. Just like children rely on and depend on their parents to meet their need, God wants us to depend on His provision for our lives. And Jesus reminds us of God's provision in nature, but he also specifically calls to mind here the Father heart of God for us. Verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. That's the part of God's character that he felt it so necessary to emphasize in that space, your heavenly Father. God has promised to provide for his own, supplying every need. His heart for us is as a father to a child. But God's provision doesn't always guarantee for us a life without problems. God's idea of what we need is often very different from ours. Just like as parents, sometimes your idea of what your child needs might be very different from what they think. And God will only occasionally meet our expectations. For example, we may see our need as riches, but perhaps God knows that what we truly need is a time of poverty or loss. There are many examples in Scripture where great men and women of faith endured great trial and great deprivation. But in all of these instances, God followed up these seasons with restoration and with sustenance. We are clearly told not to worry about future problems before they occur. God knows about these two. And as our Father He can be trusted to deal with these problems when they occur. So trust God as your Father to deal with what worries you. Our Father loves us deeply, and we can find such security and such peace in his love for us. And then fourthly, we need to allow God to transform our thinking. Seeking first his kingdom involves being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Don't conform anymore to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And we know that we are shaped by the thoughts we choose to let into our minds and heart. What we think about is so crucial to who we are. 
And the mind is an incredibly powerful tool. And the more you think about or try not to think about something that worries you, often the more preoccupied your mind becomes with that thought, which makes you think about it even more. And just like suppressing that thought about your worries doesn't work. We need to bring it into the light so that God can bring change into this area in our life. And I think there are two parts to allowing God to bring transformation into our thinking. And number one is we need to identify, and I know it's not on the slide, but it's part of this here, is identify what triggers worry in your life. And I really want to encourage you to, to really give some thought to this and to try to, under God, understand what it is that's triggering worry in your life. And only then can you begin to guard against worry in those situations. I encourage you to pray for the Holy Spirit to help you to evaluate even just how you're thinking in, this situa- in those situations um, where, where that's triggered. And to evaluate that thinking against biblical truth. Because when the Holy Spirit shows you that a worrisome thought doesn't reflect what's true, only then can you replace that with a new thought that is based on the reality of what God says is true. I think so many of our worries are rooted in lies and faulty belief systems that we carry, often without even realizing it. And if you're struggling to trust God with something that's worrying you, ask God what unbelief or potentially even unhealed wounds might be preventing you from trusting him in that space completely. And then if we identify what triggers worry in our lives, then obviously in response to that, secondly, we need to bring that to God. And depending what the Holy Spirit unveils for you as the root of your worries, it's going to determine how you bring that to God and what that looks like. And for some, that might be a more intense journey of healing than for others. For some, that's going to involve confession and repentance and receiving forgiveness, confessing unbelief, and allowing God to give you the faith and the healing that you need. It might mean also just sharing with God and allowing him to minister into those broken and wounded places of our soul and giving his spirit the the freedom to let his grace and ministry and healing flow into our lives. Friends, no matter how hard we try, we can't stop bad things from happening because we live in a fallen world. However, we do have a choice of how we respond to whatever happens. We can decide to let these worrisome thoughts just run riots as they enter our minds and control us, or we can choose under God to take every thought captive and invite God into the picture. And then fifthly, we need to commit to prayer. Choosing to pray instead of worrying. Paul writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is incredibly valuable truth for us in the scripture. We don't let go of worry by simply telling ourselves not to worry. But we can actively let go of worry when we choose to bring that which we are worrying about into the realm of prayer and under God's control. And I found from experience that the more I pray about my worries, the less I worry. And there is a release that happens in my spirit that does usher in the kingdom and the peace of God. 
And I just want to say in this space that I know that there are people who do struggle with worry to greater extents than others. And you might even have tried to, to let go of worry, uh, applying these steps I've even shared with you, and it's still a struggle for you. And you still have not found victory in this space. We believe in a powerful God who can bring transformation into our lives. But he's also a God that works with us each individually and uniquely. And not seeing full release yet in this area, even after you've given much prayer, it doesn't mean that God won't in time come to fully release you from this. Nor does it mean that not God is not fully present in your moments of worry. And I just think it's very important to encourage you, if that is you in the space, because your journey might just be, be longer than another for reasons that only to God, but it is still a journey I want to encourage you to stay on. Do not be discouraged. Stay in the game when it comes to prayer and the ministry of his Holy Spirit and being transformed in your thinking. And then sixthly, I think we need to cultivate contentment as part of us seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm sure many of you have advised others who are worrying about something or going through a difficult time to just take one day at a time, yet how many of us actually follow this advice ourselves? But Jesus tells us quite pointedly in this passage, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And we do need to learn to live in the present, taking one day at a time, resolving to deal with what life brings to us on this day and leaving tomorrow's worries in God's hands. And I think that a part of learning to live in the now is about cultivating contentment in our lives. And I think that's such a beautiful picture that I think just illustrates that in so many ways. If we are not content with our lives the way it is right now, we're going to be prone to worry. And we need to ask God to teach us to be content with whatever circumstances we encounter now. And we need to make a habit of noticing the many ways that God is blessing us every day. And of eyes to see the blessings that are in our lives right now. And we do need to express our thanks to God, not just for our relationship with him, but for the many blessings, seen and unseen, that he is bestowing on each one of us. And then the last two, I think, tie very closely together. Part of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is, I believe, at times to invite the ministry and support of others. We all know the picture of the church as a body, each of us bringing something unique but different to the others. But sometimes we need those in the family here to draw alongside of us and to bring what they carry as a ministry to us. We need them to supply what is lacking in ourselves. And I want to encourage you to welcome and invite the ministry and support of others as you seek to let go of worry and embrace trust and faith and peace in this area. Let others in your family carry your burdens, cover you with love and care and refresh your spirit. And lastly, on the other side of that, we need to also give ministry and support to others. Seeking the kingdom of God involves sharing the fruit of our relationship with God with others. And that doesn't just involve sharing our faith, but it also involves sometimes practical giving and expressing love to others through whatever means God has specially gifted you or has directed you. 
Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The healing effect of knowing God's love just cannot be overemphasized. And many times, God's love, it comes through fellow believers and his spirit revealing his presence to us. May his love flowing through you provide much needed ministry, refreshing and support to others around you. I want to conclude by reading a paraphrase of this passage from the message. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food that you put into your stomach. There is more to your outer appearance than the clothes that you hang in your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror even gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but you have never seen color and design quite like it. The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I'm going to ask Al and the worship team just to come join me on stage. And before we go into our time of communion, I think what would be a very important thing for us to do in response to this is just to, I think, immediately act upon those last two points. Inviting the ministry and support of others and giving ministry and support to others. We ended our worship space singing that incredibly powerful song, I am no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. And there's some of you today who are just carrying heavy weights and things are tough. And you just need some of us in the family around you just to come around you and just to pray over you and for you and just to speak life and faith over you.